That's nice. Thank you. What is with this weather, people? It's wrong. It should be made illegal, this weather, I think. Hey, happy Mother's Day uh, weekend. Uh, in fact, if you're a mum, would you stand right now so that we can honor you? And Yeah, come on. You know, in a moment we're going to pray together, give thanks for all these moms and ask God to bless them. In America it's spelled mom, M-O-M. In England it's mom, M-U-M. Everyone say mom. Sounds wrong, sorry. But, you know, as we, uh, as we pray together this day, we also need to be uh, sensitive to the truth that this can be a day that can be painful as well. For those uh, ladies who would dearly love to be a mom or who have lost children, or indeed have those of us who've lost mums. I've mentioned my own mum to you quite a lot, and just with her a couple of weeks ago, still battling that that Alzheimer's. It's a day that's tinged with joy and for some pain, and we're aware of that. So let's pray together with all of that in mind. Father, we thank you today for every mum here, and we ask you to bless them. Give them a great day, and we so appreciate the influence and the, the servanthood that uh, parenting and motherhood especially involves. We pray your blessing upon them. We also ask for your grace and strength to be with those for whom this day is tinged with some pain, for whatever reason. Thank you that you are the God of grace and peace and strength. So be with them today, this very day we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are continuing this While You Were Sleeping series, and this weekend the title of the message is Why, Why, Why Delilah? Now, does this connect with anybody with a song that they might... How many of you are... Yeah. And I was so tempted to just come out here uh, this morning and just burst into song. And you would have thought that Tom Jones was here. Uh, but I submit these things to the pastoral team, and they said, Pastor Jeffrey, if you do that, we'll just have to kill you. So, um, didn't do it. Why, 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 Delilah? Let's have a look at this. Judges 16 and verse 4. I'm going to read this, this whole story. Let it speak for itself first. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. <clears throat> the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength, and how we, may over, we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them, With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, you've made a fool of me, you lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then, with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. 
Delilah then said to Samson, all this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, if you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll be as weak as any other man. So, while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric and tightened it with the pin. Again she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of, the, of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. I'm so tempted, but I'm not going to go there. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head was shaved, my strength would leave me and I'd become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more. He's told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Uh, it used to happen most Sunday mornings when I preached. I was uh, a church planting pastor back in Cambridgeshire in England years ago. Uh, we had a lovely growing congregation. And as part of our congregation, we had an elderly gentleman who used to fall asleep every Sunday morning during the sermon. Not only fall asleep, that is permissible, but he would snore really, really loudly. Turn to the person next to you right now and say, don't you even think about it. And he would snore really loudly, and, and, and the folks in our congregation used to get a little excited about this. They'd nudge each other, and they'd say, he's asleep again. They, they obviously had a need to get out more. And so he was, he was sleeping. And then what he would do is he would suddenly wake up and try and give me the impression that he'd never been asleep by shouting something out like, praise the Lord! Or Amen! But the only thing is, he didn't know what I'd just said, which could be awkward. So one morning he's fast asleep and he's snoring. It's so, the peace of God was all over the man. I mean, and he's snoring so loud, it's like someone's running a chainsaw in the building, you know. And I'm preaching on spiritual warfare. He's fast asleep and I kind of raised my voice a little. And I said, the devil is defeated. And he woke up and shouted out, Bless his lovely name. <laughs> you see, he'd been asleep, but he was trying to give me the impression that he hadn't been asleep. That went sadly wrong. Last week, Pastor Darry talked to us about the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. We were hearing from that that we need to be alert, vigilant, watchful. And that's very consistent with the teaching of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonians. He says, You are all children of the light 
and children of the day, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. And then Peter writes, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. You see, the Bible calls us to be awake. Samson, tragically, fell asleep. And it's ironic because he was the man called to wake a nation up. For 40 years, Israel had been spiritually sleeping. Deborah, the prophetess, had stirred the nation for a while, but four decades had come and gone. Now the nation was asleep, and and Samson was raised up by God to stir them. Tragically, this is the turning point for him. He's been in danger many times. He went onto the battlefield alone. He was betrayed by his own people. He was stalked by a a mob who camped outside the house where he was staying. He had known danger, but the pivotal moment in Samson's life is while he was sleeping. That's the, the junction moment, the turning point episode. After putting him to sleep on her lap, says verse 19, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. He... He ended up asleep. Now, you know as well as I do that you don't just go to sleep in an instant. How many of you, like me, you wish you could? You know, particularly like if I'm on an airplane, I just want to flip a switch. I don't, I don't want to watch the movie. I don't want to play Name That Food. I don't want to do any of that. I just want to get on the plane. I'm going to London and flip a switch and go, good night. And then wake up and I'm in London. Hallelujah. That's what I want to do. You don't do that. You, you generally, you doze off. It's a gradual process. And that's what happened to Samson. What we've got to do today is ask the question, why? Now, as we do this, let's remember that Samson is not an Old Testament Christian. Sometimes we, do, we preachers do that. We, we pull a character out of the Old Testament and put New Testament expectations on him. Let's be aware that we're dealing with an Old Testament character, but there are some lessons that we can learn. So if you're following in the bulletin, come with me. First of all, number one, how do you get sleepy? Number one, arrogance. Arrogance. The blessed not only get sleepy, they doze off because they know they're blessed. Let me say that again, arrogance. The blessed not only get sleepy, they doze off because they know they're blessed. Look at verse 20. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. You see, we tend to think of Samson as the muscle guy, don't we? Artists throughout history have consistently painted Samson as a as a beefy giant with bulging biceps and a cavernous chest and a, and a rock-solid six-pack for an abdomen. You know, kind of like myself, really. Thanks for your support. I really appreciate it. Rembrandt gave him thighs as big as tree trunks, and Rubens was more brave-heart. He gave him a, a fiery red beard and chiseled sinewy muscles. We tend to think of Samson as the muscle guy. But he's not just the muscle guy, he's the blessed guy. He's the only judge in the list of judges in the Old Testament who is called blessed. Jewish children today are taught to call Samson, Samson the hero. 
Elite Israeli combat units have been named in his honor. Israel's nuclear option was called the Samson option. Why is that? It's because he was blessed. This man's, this man's birth was announced by an angel. That's amazing. And not only that, he's a man of the Spirit. Three times in Judges 13 and 14, we read about the Spirit of the Lord stirring him. And then twice in chapter 14, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The Hebrew means rushed upon him. So there's, there's an angelic announcement of his birth. He's a man of the Spirit. But there are five mighty exploits in his life. God is only mentioned in two of them. It's only recorded that he prayed two prayers. He may have prayed more, but it's only recorded that he prayed two. One for water that he might live. Two for strength that he might die well. There seems to be about Samson this idea, this presumption. It'll, it'll be okay. I've got to get out of jail free card. He went to shake himself as before. When you've been blessed, if you're not careful, you can get presumptuous. And that is highly dangerous. Secondly, there's carelessness. That's another thing that contributed to Samson sleeping. Carelessness. Believing that we are an exception to the rules. Believing that we are an exception to the rules. In chapter 15, verse 18, Samson, we read of Samson this. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord... You have given your servant this great victory. Now stop right there, Sam, because you seem to have forgotten that you've been hanging out with prostitutes. But you're still calling yourself the servant of the Lord. That's very interesting. It is as if Samson feels that because he's blessed, that the rules that apply to everybody else don't apply to him. You know, I've got two grandsons, and I'm sorry for mentioning them again. I'm, I'm obsessed with them, quite frankly. They are five and two now. They're both, they're both away at medical school right now, preparing for their career. Some of you look kind of impressed right then. You were thinking, those English people are kind of forward. That's pretty good. I was kidding. But uh, Alex, who's age two, he's really talking now, and he's kind of obsessed with animals. And he likes to think of people as... And we went into the house the other day and he looked at Kay and he said, uh, Grandma, Grandad is a horse and you are a cow. <laughs> now, how many know that it is not polite to address a sister thus? This is not good. The rules are different when you do. It's true, isn't it? I mean, you know, you get a round of applause for smiling, and it, it may just be gas, but you still get the applause. The rules are different. And Samson's got this idea, well, you know, I'm excluded from the rules. Are we thinking like that? And here's a subtle thing that can happen to us. We can think that because we used to live in a particular way, we're still living in that way, even if we're not. Let me illustrate. For the last eight years, I've, I've been a runner, four miles. Hate it with every fiber of my being. I get out there running. My brain screams to me, stop this. Lie down on the ground and order pizza. <laughs> About three months ago, two months ago, someone came up to me and said, still running? 
I said, yeah, yeah. And I thought about it. I hadn't run for three months. But because I used to, and because I have items of lycra in my wardrobe, (laughs) an interesting statement, because I used to run, I'm kind of thinking I'm a runner. I'm not. And I had to repent, and I I ran yesterday, and I'm going to run this afternoon. I rebuke that spirit of unbelief. We think because we did, then therefore we do. Think about that. Historical morality is not much use. Carelessness. Believing we were an exception to the rules. Thirdly, ignorance. Ignorance. Being unaware of the battle that rages around us. Being unaware of the battle that rages around us. Look at verse 5. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we may overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Then look at what we read in 1 Peter 5. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Who is this Delilah? Uh, She's probably a Philistine woman. Uh, Some say she may have been a temple prostitute. The word Delilah means woman of the night. In the Hebrew, it's also rooted in the word dalliance, to flirt with. There's a Jewish tradition that says she was the younger sister of Samson's first wife, who was spurned by Samson when his first wife died tragically. So there may have been vengeance in this deal, but there was certainly money. 1,100 shekels, some commentators say $15 million. A lot of cash. But what I want us to really see is that Samson's downfall came as a result of strategic, careful planning. Did you know, sir, ma'am, There is a strategist who would like you to fail. There is a strategy set not only for your downfall, but for the ruining of your Christian testimony. 2 Corinthians 11, excuse me, 1 verse 11, talks about Satan. Paul says, we don't want Satan to outwit us. And then he says, for we are not unaware of his schemes. The word there speaks of very careful strategic planning, like playing chess. And that's what's going on with Samson. She she wears him down. She keeps asking, you've made a fool out of me. You've lied to me. You you always make a fool out of me. You, You really don't love me. You won't confide in me. It's strategic. We need to figure out that there is such a thing as Satan. And he has plans. Now, I don't want to get paranoid about this. You ever meet Christians who are kind of demon-obsessed? Everything that goes wrong, they blame on the devil. Satan's been attacking me. I ran out of gas this week. What is the Lord trying to teach me? He would say unto thee, Fill your tank, O silly one. (laughs) Nothing to do with the devil. But you see, we react, you see, we react against that kind of madness 
And then we forget, you know, are you like me? You forget, I forget my keys, I forget my directions, I forget my phone, I forget I'm going to live forever. And I forget that I'm in a battle. Do we need to be a little more conscious that we are at war and there is an enemy and there is an enemy with a strategy? Number four, reoffending will contribute to sleep. Reoffending, refusing to tame our besetting sin. Sometime later, it says at the beginning of the chapter there, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. She's most likely the third Philistine woman that Samson fell for. Historians tell us that Philistine women had a mysterious sensual allure for the Israelites. But he's repeating things. It's always going to keep going wrong if he carries on with this pattern. Have you noticed that about besetting sins? First of all, it's, it, it's all very quiet and subtle. An action becomes a habit. A habit becomes a vice. A vice becomes an addiction. And you don't get a warning light on the dashboard of your heart that says, it's official, you're addicted. No. And then, you've been quietly suckered by it, and then you just keep doing it. I mentioned this before, because it happened before, but it also happened this week, which gives me an excuse to say it again. Kay and I were fast asleep, but about six o'clock in the morning the other day, and suddenly, bang, something smashed into our window. Really loud. I woke up. She woke up. I said, honey, there's something out there. I said, you go and investigate, and I will pray. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. So I jumped out of bed and took with me my weapon of choice, which is a high-pitched scream. And I kind of knew what it was because it had happened before. I've told you about it. It was a hummingbird. And what they do is these hummingbirds, they do this. And then they, they, they suddenly see their own reflection and they think, there's another hummingbird dude. I'm going to take him out. So, and they fall down on the deck and they get a corrugated beak. And, they, and then they kind of recover and then they're and he's down there, and he takes a couple of Advil and recovers, and then and I just watched him. I thought you are so stupid. Going to go out on the deck and say, "What's with you, bird brain?" But he has got a bird brain, bird. See, I kind of want you to get bored of this. I, I want you to say, Pastor Jeff, it's a cute illustration, but could we move on? Because we have an appointment with dead chicken later. <laughs> See, I want you to get bored with it. I, I want you to go, yeah, okay. You see, I want you to get bored because living like this is so boring. You just endured 27 seconds of it. Imagine living like that for a decade. 
that besetting sin. That vow we've made and then late at night on the computer, no one around, and suddenly... Mark Buchanan, wonderful writer in his book, Hidden in Plain Sight, he says, something chases most of us. Some dark appetite, some deep prejudice, some wild card emotion. We usually find ways to manage it, stick fig leaves to conceal it, develop verbal ruses to deny it, borrow pat explanations to justify it, but we feel its stain and its weight. We know it offends a holy God, and we wish he'd just show up in our sleep and pluck the thing clean out. And let us wake up as holy new creations. The years passed, and instead we make our home with our sins and our demons and just hope no one finds out. Is there a pattern that needs to be broken? A turn-off that we need to take on a disastrous pathway. Number five, the last thing is isolation. Failing to build sustaining friendships. Isolation, failing to build sustaining friendships. Look at Judges 14. This is Samson's wedding to, his, uh, to the first Philistine woman. When he appeared, he was given 30 companions or 30 best men. Kay uh, and I got married 36 years ago. She was 17 minutes late, but I'm over that. <laughs> Just saying. But I had a best man. It'd be kind of ugly not to ha- be able to find anyone to be a best man for you. Samson, they had to give him best men. Rent a friend. And he's a very lonely man. Isolated. How many of you are aware that Jack... Bauer is back. He's back. There's a ripple of excitement. Jack is the hero of 24 who in a one-day period saves the world from destruction 11 times. He is without sleep, but he saves the world, gets the girl, loses the girl, and makes the coffee. Remarkable. Don't get on the wrong side of Jack. Don't mess with him. He doesn't smile much. And in the first episode of the new season, which I watched purely for research for this message, (laughs) I did it for you. (laughs) In the first episode, Jack says, I don't have any friends. Samson didn't have any friends. You don't see friends or family in his adult life. They don't show up until after he dies. He's got secrets. He doesn't tell his parents. He's got secrets. He doesn't tell his wife. And he finally collapses with Delilah, the wrong person. You know what we need? We need friends. We need family. And we need family. New word that I learned from Pastor Daniel Floyd of LifePoint Church, Virginia. Family. Family is friends who are like family. They're kitchen table people. You don't have to perform for them. You can just tell them the way it is. It's vital to have those. Pastor Daniel said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And by the way, as he also pointed out, social networking won't do it. It won't won't meet the need. 
Isn't it kind of weird? I mean, I'm on Facebook, but isn't it kind of weird? Before Facebook, did you call your friend first thing in the morning and say, I just had oatmeal. Got to hang up 4,722 people to tell. No. Social networking won't do it. Princess Diana said, there is no better way to dismantle a personality than to isolate it. Do you have three or four or five family? We all need that. And the trouble with that is that friendship is not something you can go to Walmart and buy. I'll take two of those, please. It takes time, investment, patience, grace. But without that, we're very likely to fall asleep. Well, Samson came to a very sad end. He was arrested, tortured, humiliated, and he died in the rubble of a pagan temple. But in his final moments, he prayed a prayer of great clarity. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book about Samson. And because of that book, I was invited to go to Israel uh, and visit the Samson sites and shoot a film there. And uh, went out there with a team. We went to the Gaza area, to Ashkelon, where Samson spent quite a bit of his life. And we met with an archaeologist from the University of Jerusalem. And we went in search for the reputed site of Samson's grave. And it was a big search. It took us hours. We had to disappear up a, a hillside. It was a very remote spot. People living within two miles of this reputed site don't even know it's there. And I thought, as we end this message today, rather than telling you about that, why don't we just go to Israel and, um, and take a look. So here it is. Well, we made it. And I admit that with this fading light, we were thinking about turning back. But at the top of this hillside in uh, this beautiful part of Israel, relatively unmarked, is the reputed tomb of Samson and his father Manoah. Now, it needs to be said, as with all ancient sites, that there is some dispute about the authenticity of whether or not this is actually the place. But as you can see, people do come here to pray, believing that here Samson was laid to rest. Ironically, right at the end of his life, Samson seems to get some clarity about his identity in God. When he was with Delilah, he mumbled that his life had been set apart for God, and he uses the word Elohim, a more generic term for God. It's as if he's saying, I'm into spirituality. But now at the end of his life, he cries out, Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai. He really nails his colors to the mast. At last, Samson knows who he is. At last, Samson knows who he is. We're going to pray together in a few seconds. We're going to pray about arrogance and carelessness. 
going to pray about being ignorant of the spiritual battle. We're going to pray about isolation. But we're also going to pray about besetting sins. Remember the bird and the window. Let's pray. Father, as we are sobered by the story of a man that you bless, a man who could have done so much and yet squandered so much, as we read about his story, we want to be people who are awake and alert. Save us from arrogance because you've blessed us. From carelessness, believing that we're an exception to the rules, or leaning on what we used to be and thinking that that's what we still are. Give us a balanced discernment about the battle that rages around us. We don't want to be paranoid, but we don't want to be ignorant of that battle. As we've given thanks to you today for mums, we want to give thanks to you for friends, for family, and for family. For those of us who struggle to name people that we can be ourselves with, give us, give us direction and tenacity to build those kind of friendships. But finally, Lord, we, as we hear about Samson knowing clearly who he was, even in the last seconds of his life, we don't want to blur our identity by being entrenched in that besetting sin that just keeps tripping us up. Mark Buchanan says something chases most of us let's just keep our heads bowed please and I'm going to just ask this one time because some of us immediately know that this is addressing them and you don't need persuasion if you know that that so applies to you that besetting sin At 11 a.m. this Sunday morning, this could be a junction moment as you identify that with some clarity and ask God for grace, not only to stop doing that, but to transform you to be the kind of person who naturally, supernaturally does not do that anymore. If you find yourself in that place of besetting sin, as our heads are bowed, can I ask you please just to slip up your hand for a moment, put it up. And then put it down again, please, if you would. Thank you. We pray for grace and strength for each and every one, Lord. Bring freedom, bring liberation, bring grace, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. And you know, as you sit up, please know that in a few minutes when our service ends, our prayer team will be here. And if you would like to pray about any of these issues, then... Um, you can certainly do that, take opportunity to do that right then. We're going to give now. Giving is part of our worship. If you're a guest with us today, we always say it. Please don't feel obliged to give, but do put that connection card in uh, if you would. And we're going to sing a song about having our eyes open, which is pretty apropos as we've been talking about sleeping. So, so let's give in song and uh, financially too. Thanks for your faithfulness.
something together before we leave today. It sounds a little strange, but I wonder if you would just think about the greatest challenge in your life right now. What is the, what is the Goliath that stares you down? What is that? Just, you said, Pastor Jeff, it's kind of a weird way to end a service, which we hope will be inspirational to think about. A, well, we need to earth this. The service begins now. So just think about that. And then, if you'd like to, you don't have to. It's an invitation, not a command. But if, you, if you'd like to, just open your hands to God with me. Will you just... You've looked at your biggest challenge. And then we come to the source of our strength. We just sung these words. We are not alone. In thinking about our challenges, here's how we're going to end our service. We're going to say together... We are not alone, and then I am not alone. So are you ready? It's a kind of liturgical declaration of our faith. And so we declare, we are not alone. I am not alone. That was a really good practice. Here we go again. We are not alone. I am not alone. We declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Please be safe on the way home today. It's kind of scary out there. Prayer team are here. If we may pray with you, we'd love to do that. Love you guys. God bless you. 